As we welcome in Frank Saravalli from the Daily Faceoff. Good morning, Frank. Did you return to Philly from Toronto? I did. Yeah, back home. I uh, had some games to coach this weekend, so oh. I was back. I actually missed the All-Star game itself, but I was there for the skills. Really? So you were there for the skills? Because we had Tyler Uramchuk, your buddy, on at 740 this morning. And uh, he said he thoroughly enjoyed the five days he was uh, in Toronto. What about you? Way better than last year in Florida. Events were way more compelling. And by the way, it was an insanely busy news trip. <sighs> a coach being fired and Todd McClellan. A Two trades, the top two guys off of our trade targets board, plus all the Olympic news, Hockey Canada. It's, it was kind of unending. Would you say out of all the All-Star breaks, this was the most newsworthy, I guess, three, four days? That I can remember, yes. Mm -hmm. And then even yesterday in in, um, Ottawa, it just continued on. Yeah, I would say... um, Although yesterday really nothing happened. Yeah, I was going to say, so you you were referring to London and the... Sorry, uh, London. Yeah, I shouldn't have said Ottawa. The press conference. Yeah, sorry. Uh, Yeah, I mean... Unfortunately, we didn't really learn anything. No. We had known from reporting that those were the five players being charged. We learned nothing new about the narrative. And I think this is part of, you know, I get confused because that's not how things would have happened in the United States. Like Mm -hmm. if you're going to press charges, you've got to, you know, at least show something. You've got to give us some details as to, you know, your probable cause, why you think you arrived at this point. And so that's not how an indictment would work in the U.S., but I understand that Canadian law is different. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, and from your perspective, being, you know, a U.S. citizen and, and seeing how, I guess, the procedure and how things play out a lot more different here. And then even, you know, how many times did you hear yesterday? Well, that'll be the process will be will know be able to let people know in due time. Well, but it, in the same breath, they've been saying for six years and they're apologizing. And, uh, you know, I kind of got the sense of like, you know, just come on here we go again kind of thing. Yeah, I think the tough part, and this is purely my personal opinion, is the tough part about making significant apologies like that is that what it does is it casts a serious shadow of guilt over the players that are now involved you didn't have enough information or you didn't have enough to substantiate charges in 2019. You got to at least tell us how you arrived at this point all these years later to then now lay charges. And that's the part when you then make apologies, it's almost as if you're saying we got you now, which may be the case, but if you're just a member of the general public and you hear those words, you're thinking these players are 100% guilty. And, and I think, there was a lot of CYA cover your arse from the London police service that also didn't do any part of admitting that they dropped the ball potentially in, in 2019. An apology is not the same thing as saying we screwed up. Mm-hmm. Frank Servali with us on sports 1440 text comes in uh, from Jesse. Uh, ask Frank about Sidney Crosby. Okay. Um, I assume this had know? something to do with the uh, skills competition. It actually, I'm guessing that it stems back to some commentary that I had on Thursday or Friday, yeah. which was more or less just that I was I was critical of Sidney Crosby not showing up for the All-Star draft. Right. There's 40 All-Stars, 39 of them 
are part of the first day of festivities. They're on the ice in a sold-out building to participate in the player draft. And it's, it's not the end of the world, but the response and blowback that I got was fascinating. Mm-hmm. Like It was like you – you uh, you said something critical about a beatified saint. Yeah. And look, I, I'm not questioning Sidney Crosby's character. He's an A-plus human being, a tremendous role model for everyone involved in the game. Any player coming up would do well to, to model himself mm-hmm. after Sidney Crosby. But my point was, had this been any other player, had this been Alex Ovechkin in his prime, had this been... Austin Matthews in the game isn't being hosted in Toronto. The first thing everyone will be saying is, what is this guy? Does he think he's too big for the game? Mm -hmm. And that's not the point that I'm making. It's just that he doesn't show up because he's meandering through Yellowstone on vacation (laughs) and no one says a word. And it's not the first year that this has happened. He didn't show up last year for the first day of festivities. And Connor McDavid has been in the league half the time and has played in more all-star weekends. So it's obvious that he doesn't like All-Star, and that's fine. But my whole point was, like, no one should be above criticism. And that was it. And people didn't like that, and they told me to shut my fat face. <laughs> well, I, I'll tell you, we, a lot of times, Frank, we don't always agree on everything, you and I, and that's the way it is. I agree with you 100% on this. Like, to for him not to be there for, for the entirety of it, and especially, well, you know what, then just say you can't go. So you can't go. It, you know, it doesn't. I, I think some Sid is better than no Sid. My whole point was, it, it's just odd that no one says anything, mm-hmm. and it's because I think part of it is because he's a Canadian. First off, let's let's call a spade a spade, and then the next part is people say, well, he carried the league on his back for so long. Doesn't he just deserve extra time? And I mean, like. I guess, but not really. Mm-hmm. Like, when did Wayne Gretzky ever not show up to something? I never in his career, as far as I know, has Wayne Gretzky ever said no to anything. Yeah. Well, we're on the same page here, Frank. Uh, two questions. Uh, just before we get to the orders, I just wanted to get your thoughts because he's been such a polarizing figure here in Edmonton. Yes, at Pulley RV. He signs with Pittsburgh, uh, 1.6 million over the two years. So 800 AAV. What does he have? Can he offer the Penguins anything here while we're on the subject, the subject of Sidney Crosby and the Penguins? I think it's a worthy gamble because at some point he had, you know, there had been flashes Mm -hmm. and I, you know, I think the hardest part for me to calculate in answering this question is how hampered was he by his hip injury when the last, you know, year or 18 months of playing and how much better is he now since then that that'll be the answer to the question. But in, And he, and he had some he had some he put up some decent numbers in Wilkes yeah. in the AHL. They weren't eye popping by any means. I think it was nine points in thirteen games. Yeah. Could he do? You know, is he enough to to give a league minimum contract to try it? And really, the two years is kind of just a year and a half mm-hmm. essentially because there's only a, a chunk of this year remaining, less than half the year. And I, I would take the bet if you're the Penguins looking for bottom six help. But I also think we've seen enough from Yesapuliarvi, and not just in Edmonton, but also in the very brief stint in Carolina, to know that there really wasn't a lot there. So um my I would lean towards him not being an impactful piece for, mm-hmm. for Pittsburgh, but I won't rule it out based on his health and the hip. 
Yeah, we had, uh, I can't remember, the, the name is escaping me, but uh, a Pittsburgh reporter went down to Wilkes-Barre, Scranton, and watched him play one game and said he felt that, yes, his speed wasn't there, not at the NHL level, from watching him in person. It's so. To me, it, it's never been about the speed for Pugliarvi. It's always been about his central processing unit. He doesn't <laughs> think the game well enough to to be an impactful NHL player. There's just... There's not a high hockey IQ there. And when you don't have that, you know, look at some of the guys who have lost a bunch of foot speed. Corey mm-hmm. Perry's never had any, really. Uh, Sean Monahan gets a first-round pick. He He's in the bottom 30% in the NHL in terms of foot speed. And yet these guys are impactful players because they are so damn smart. Mm-hmm. Pulley-Arvey's, he doesn't have it. Yeah, we, that's we, why I really have doubts. We talked about that. Dan Kingerski's the reporter's name that uh, went down yeah. to watch him. Um, so tonight, Frank, all eyes will be on uh, Vegas. I mean, uh, to see a, an opportunity where the Oilers have to rip off win number seventeen in a row. Just your thoughts on this game? You know, you can't couldn't ask for a better matchup for the NHL for the Oilers for Vegas uh, coming out of the break. Uh, and with the magnitude of a 17-game possible winning streak, uh, just your thoughts on this uh, one coming up tonight? By far the biggest game in Vegas this week. And <laughs> I would say this is the ultimate test of a of a streak like the Oilers are on. To go through a bye week and the All-Star break, this is – if they can get through this, and I know it might be only one win or you know, tack on an additional one, at some point it's going to end – But to get through all of that and have it continue, let alone against a division rival on the road, and really what we're talking about here is not with the games in hand, you know, a chance to get an additional leg up on Vegas. This is really about planting a stake in the ground for home ice advantage in round one. And I didn't, I wasn't entirely sure that would be possible for the Oilers. I thought they were kind of destined for a wild card spot after the way the season started. And now we're talking about potentially finishing second in the division behind the Canucks. And Mm -hmm. the fact that we're talking about that on February 6th is insane. It really is. And to be honest with you, Frank, Vancouver is the only team in the West that really hasn't had a blip in the radar here. I would think that that's going to have to happen with the Canucks at some point in the second half. Do you think that the Oilers have a remote chance at first in the division? I don't. Um I have I haven't seen any evidence to point to yet with the Canucks to say that they're going to falter. We've all been saying since late October, oh, this team is going to regress. There's no chance they can continue to play this well. I loved hearing from Rick Tockett on the other side of the All-Star break about how humble this team needs to stay. Don't let it get to your heads that we are toward the top of the conference. Mm-hmm. And I don't have any doubt that he's going to be able to hold their feet to the fire. Um, And I think when you look at the talent that they have and, frankly, the goaltending that they have, that really helps set them apart from some of the other teams. And not to say, you know, Edmonton doesn't have a chance. It's just that I also don't think the Oilers are going to rip off 24 out of 27 to close the year. Mm -hmm. It's it's probably not going to be as good as it has been. And – and that's okay. 
What do you got cooking on daily face-off this week, Frank? You were saying, again, you're, you're, the, the trade deadline board is kind of took a big hit. Decimated. <laughs> but still, there's some names out there, a couple. But uh, what do you got cooking on daily face-off here? So we'll have a new trade targets board for you on Thursday to talk when we can convene again. Um, today I have something going on the Phoenix Coyotes or the Arizona Coyotes and their arena situation as they've been trying to get things in order. What is the next step? What are the possible outcomes for the Coyotes? Uh, tomorrow I have a deadline countdown preview of Sean Walker and his game from the Philadelphia Flyers. At some point he's cool. sort of been connected to the Oilers as a as an option on the blue line. I, I personally don't think he's that big of an upgrade on CC, but mm-hmm. the Oilers would be one of those teams mentioned. And then Friday, I've got uh, another piece on Alex Carrier of the Nashville Predators. Oh. So no shortage of things to do as we are just about one <laughs> month out from the deadline. Yeah. Uh, it's good. crazy how fast oh, it goes. No kidding. Good stuff there. And I saw you just reposted about uh, from Ben Pope out of Chicago regarding the Winter Classic next year. Yeah, it looks like uh, Wrigley Field, the Winter Classic, is returning there. It would be uh, 16 years since they were last there. I was actually at that one in 2009, January 1st, 2009, and uh, the Blackhawks are back, Connor Bedard, and you know this team needs some significant help to fill out their roster, but Man, you look at the draft lottery standings today on dailyfaceoff.com. The Hawks are right there. You watch Macklin Celebrini last night at the Bean Pot. It's whoever lands the number one pick is going to be getting a pretty special player. There were multiple NHL GMs mm-hmm. in the building last night at TD Garden, and I had exchanged messages with a few of them. I asked the question, how good is Celebrini compared to Bedard? They said, a notch down but still probably ahead of Fantilli and Leo Carlson, if wow. that means anything to you. Did you see uh, Celebrini's post-game interview last night? I did. <laughs> yeah, he just kind of let one slip out, didn't he? Yeah, well, I mean, that's what happens when you take a Canadian and put them in Boston. <laughs> hey, thanks, Frank. Uh, appreciate it. We'll talk to you on Thursday. Take care, man. See you, Kevin.